There needs to be more places like the Prospector who recognize that the hiring of adults with disabilities isn't a nice thing to do. It's not something we do to pat ourselves on the back or pat our obituaries. This is a smart business thing to do. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively focused on covering theatrical exhibition. Joined once again by our co-host and deputy editor at Box Office Pro, Rebecca Pauly. We've got another interesting episode. They're all interesting. I always say that because I find them all interesting. We work here in the movie theater industry. Why wouldn't we? This week, we have a recap of earnings calls here with investors from several of the top chains in North America. Rebecca Pauly will be going over some of those highlights shortly. We've also got a forecast of Downton Abbey 2 coming out this weekend in North America. This film is actually already in release overseas. We'll be providing some data points on that performance so far and what we can learn from it. And then in our interview segment today, we will be speaking with Mike Centennial the executive director of the Prospector Theater in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Our conversation is going to be going over inclusive hiring practices and some creative things they have been doing at the concession stand, some of those pandemic era solutions that the theater tackled that they're still doing to this day that will be coming up in our interview segment. But let's get started. Rebecca, how was your weekend? It's good. I had my uh, had my mother's in town and I'm I'm planning to kind of steal her off to the theater tonight to see everything everywhere all at once cuz she lives up in kind of the boonies of North Carolina, so I don't know if they're screening anywhere yet, but I got to that's that everything everywhere word of mouth just keeps going strong, at least for me. Yeah, it's a fun watch. I, I caught that on IMAX uh, a couple of weeks back as I'm catching up on all the movies I, I missed out on during our CinemaCon production cycle. Uh, I had a good time watching that uh, down in the AMC at Lincoln Square. I was actually visiting family myself last week, Rebecca. Uh, last week was uh, May 10th, Mexican Mother's Day. It is probably the most important day uh, on the Mexican holiday calendar. Some companies give half the day off, other companies the whole day off. Arguably, it's Independence Day in mid-September when it's our big, big holiday. But uh, if you ask anyone, the real big holiday in Mexico is Mexican Mother's Day. So got to respect was- your mother. Got to respect your mother. Yeah, yeah. I was down in uh, in Austin uh, where my mom flew up from Mexico to, to meet them up with, with my sister. A nice little week that I spent with them. Uh, I got to catch uh, a visit to my first drive-in, actually. I didn't get to see a movie, but a shout-out to the Blue Starlight Urban Drive-In in Austin, Texas. Really, really cool uh, movie theater concept they have there. And talking about cool concepts, you got to hear about all of the different innovations happening in the top theater chains here in North America through the investor calls that the publicly traded companies have every quarter. Yeah, I, I did indeed. I mean, after after a fun weekend, you know, spending Monday morning, uh, you know, you say, you know, everything about this is, is interesting and it's interesting because we find the movie theater business interesting. Uh, flipping through quarterly earnings calls, transcripts, all those no. financial terms. It's no, it is. It is uh, not interesting, which is why I have flipped through them. I have paged through them and just pulled out the you key did points the work. that are interesting. 
Wonderful, because nobody wants to see a bit da on a piece of paper on a yeah. com- or on their computer screen. You did that for us. Thank you so much, Rebecca. So why don't we start with the key takeaways? Because we've got a number of circuits here, a lot of them with overlapping strategies. What was the first thing that sort of jumped out at you from listening to these calls? Well, there were three major things here. And to first off, to clarify, uh, the chains that we're talking about here are the top five in North America, those being AMC, Regal, Slash, Cineworld, Cinemark, Cineplex up in Canada, and then uh, Marcus Theatres. So really the three things really stood out at me in terms of three different ways movie theaters are moving through this recovery period and are really branching out from the quote unquote traditional you know way of doing business uh, the first way that you're seeing a lot of these cinemas uh, branch out is in terms of programming in terms of films uh, multiple of those chains did mention international titles that did surprisingly well for them over the first quarter of 2022 with cineplex highlighting in particular a, a bollywood title that generated nearly a hundred million dollars at cineplex Uh, which was 65% of the domestic box office coming from Cineplex, the largest chain in Canada. Um, You know, of course, there's the the BTS uh, latest concert film, Permission to Dance, more under the radar films that have done pretty well uh, for these top five cinema chains over the first quarter of 2022 include RRR, which uh, set a new domestic opening day record for an Indian film. Uh, The BTS stock, as I mentioned, uh, anime film, I believe, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. And then looking away from those international films, uh, we have a Greg Marcus at Marcus Theaters name checking the growing number of family films that have really started to do well, uh, like Sing 2, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And then, you know, you have other films like Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Lost City, films that are not part of that four quadrant superhero ecosystem that have really started to, to gain momentum as moviegoers have gotten more comfortable to go back to cinemas. So that was one of the takeaways. Uh, the second, we are seeing a continued diversification among these chains in terms of just the businesses that they do. Cineplex has obviously been a leading force in the family entertainment center concept. They're going to continue to roll that out. Yeah, and some of them not even attached to cinemas. They are very well diversified. When you look at Cineplex, we're really talking about the leading Canadian circuit being a leading out-of-home entertainment brand for Canadians, known primarily for movie theaters, yes, but uh, branching out more and more these days. And then with Marcus Theatres in the last few months, they have introduced their first sports viewing auditorium, The Wall, at their theater in Gurney Mills. We've seen uh, another chain, Imagine Entertainment, introduce something similar. So that seems like a a growth area, and I'm interested to see uh, where that goes. Cineworld, uh, they name-checked video games and attractions geared towards kids in cinemas that that are apparently uh, doing quite well. And then Adam Aaron at AMC name-checking a number of kind of outside the cinema initiatives that AMC is involved in. Like a gold mine? Did they mention the gold mine they, they bought? They mentioned the gold mine they bought. And oh, they, man. And, and they said people people, uh, people, people judged us and scoffed at us for buying a gold mine, but they didn't, you know, they didn't see that we're not just in the same business we are before. You know, it's, it's right. they're looking backwards and we're looking forward. And what forward means for AMC is branching out with a uh, previously announced retail popcorn industry, uh, you know, selling 
and microwave popcorn, selling popcorn in stores. It's interesting you bring that up, Rebecca, because in today's interview segment with the Prospector Theater, that popcorn strategy that AMC is doing Independent cinemas like the Prospector Theater in Ridgefield, Connecticut, they're doing that as well. They're going into the gourmet popcorn space, selling uh, gourmet popcorn direct to consumers through their website. It's really interesting how we bring these innovations from the top circuit globally, like AMC theaters, and we're seeing that down to community theaters. It's innovations that are happening, I think, across the board, no matter the size of the movie theater. And AMC, finally, they mentioned something that, Daniel, you'll have to tell me if, if you know of any other theater that's done this. I'm sure one has existed at some point. But apparently, uh, discussions are underway by uh, for a co-branded credit card with AMC and a banking partner. Adam Aaron says that, quote, within a year of today, we will aim to place a significant number of these cards into the market. Our hope, too, is that this can be a quite lucrative business opportunity for AMC. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Listen, I think it's intriguing. I haven't heard of this happen before. But when you talk about uh, brands having credit cards, it's not completely unheard of, right? I mean, if you go to Macy's, there's the Macy's credit card. I had a Victoria's Secret credit card for a hot minute, you know? (laughs) You got to get those discounts, right? Mm -hmm. If it's going to help keep that loyalty member base that they have, they have a fantastic loyalty program with AMC Stubbs. If it helps them continue engaging with those folks and even the retail investors, that may not be a bad move. And it's not too many companies, definitely in the cinema space, that can get away with it. If anyone can, it's probably going to be AMC. I'm very, very curious to see how that plays out. Absolutely. And then the final uh, takeaway uh, for from this slate uh, earnings calls before we get into uh, box office predictions, you know, it's, it's I think, can we go an episode of this podcast without talking about PLF? I don't think so, because it's so no. important to this industry right yes, now. Yes, I think everyone everyone wants to talk about PLF, yeah. even people that don't. So uh, per John Goodman at AMC, PLF represented 16% of their domestic attendance in uh, Q1 2022, compared to 13% in the same quarter in 2019. Internationally, the percentage of uh, tickets sold in PLF also uh, rose from P-Pandemic, Cinemark reaffirming that they will be moving forward with something they announced pre-pandemic in 2019, namely that they will be converting their entire global circuit to cinematic laser projectors. Wow, so all of it, all of it is gonna be laser. That's such a great thing to hear. I think when we talk about increasing the standard of the standard auditorium, we're seeing AMC commit to upgrading half its domestic circuit to laser. And now a major player like Cinemark going all in on the concept, I think that's good for moviegoers. It's not just that premium auditorium, it's every auditorium getting an improvement. Mm-hmm. But I mean, now's the time to, to do it, to think about these upgrades, whether they're premium and how we typically think of them, or just like a laser projector that gives a better experience. Uh, an interesting statistic for me that was uh, brought up in the Cinemark's earning presentation is that PLF screens of all sorts, you know, whether that's motion seating or IMAX or their proprietary brand or, or whatever, uh, represents 5% of their global screen count, yet globally, they got 14% of the box office in the first quarter. So, I mean, 
We keep seeing wow. it. Wow, really over-indexing there uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to it. They bring in a higher ticket price. They're really that anticipation, that fan-driven opening weekend concept. We're seeing that in market by market. And Marcus as well. Uh, their average admission price increased by 6.4% during the first fiscal quarter of 2022 compared to the first quarter of last year in large part because of the premium surcharges for PLF, though that's not the only factor. There also is the fact that last year, this time, a lot of people were discounting uh, tickets for more like legacy programming. So you can't 100% contribute contribute it to PLF. The $5 movie classics that we all had to see here in this industry Mm -hmm. in the first quarter. Now, instead of charging that, you're charging a higher ticket price for a premium auditorium for a Marvel movie on opening weekend. Very, very different, uh, I think, factors here. We can't just point to, oh, look, movie theaters are raising the price. It's part of the recovery. It was always going to happen, this big price jump, when you had $5 tickets happen for an entire quarter last year. And so that's basically, you know, the three main takeaways from these earnings presentations. And what you can all kind of bring it together under one, I guess, headline, it's movie theaters continue to not only look, but to invest in ways of operating that are different from the traditional ways of operating that have uh, been that have been used before. Yeah, uh, a fascinating look at this industry's evolution. And you can keep tracking that evolution through our website, boxofficepro.com and our magazine, Box Office Pro, which you can also subscribe to on our website, There you can find updates on the latest innovations and trends happening in the global movie theater industry. Rebecca, thanks for that update. And now we have to look at what's happening here on the domestic market this weekend because it's going to be an important benchmark of this recovery. We know that the Marvel movies are going to do well. We've seen that very recently with the performance of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Now we have to see how comfortable the older audiences are to coming out for an equivalent blockbuster. And that blockbuster is going to be Downton Abbey, A New Era, the sequel to the 2019 film Downton Abbey, opening in North America this weekend. It's already been in release overseas for three weeks so far. Rebecca, uh, how much of a fan are you of the Downton Abbey transmedia universe? I mean, I I watched some of the show and I kind of, you know, it fell off for me and I didn't watch all of it. So I wasn't a super fan. And so by the time the movie came around, that first movie, I don't even think I I saw it. I think I caught it in a, um, you know, when there's award season and they have kind of the catch up screenings for press. And I'm like, okay, I heard this was good. I'll go see it. And I was... You know, I, at that point, I was someone who was not really into Downton, but now I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to the next one because the first one was just like delightful, kind of turn off your brain. It was like a nice, chill little splash of water to your face, you know, and great clothes. So I'm excited hey. for this one. And I definitely can see why the first one made almost a hundred million. Like <laughs> That's crazy. You're absolutely right, Rebecca. The first Downton Abbey movie in 2019 opening to $31 million here in North America, domestically grossing $96.8 million. That's a fantastic performance. Now, it opened in late September of 2019, a very different time in the calendar. 
And the sequel is sandwiched between two big blockbusters here on the schedule in May. We had Doctor Strange open a couple of weeks back, and we've got Top Gun Maverick opening here on May 27th. So it's a bit of an awkward positioning that this uh, sequel has, but it's been rescheduled so, so many times. Fingers crossed for some counter-programming magic, you know, given the long legs that the first film had. I mean, I hope we're looking at a scenario where a family will go out and one of them wants to see Top Gun Maverick and the mom is like, okay, I want to go see Downton Abbey. You know, if the family's already going out, then you have this kind of more adult skewing option there. Absolutely. And it's going to be that two-pronged analysis of where we are with older audiences. I think Downton Abbey New Era is going to give us a data point, and a slightly different one is going to be coming in with Top Gun Maverick. But we have to be honest with you guys listening here. We don't expect the sequel to be anywhere near as successful as the original was. We are Which isn't per- because of the pandemic, right? It's just because sequels to movies based on TV shows, they it's diminishing returns. So that's not how the industry's in trouble because of the pandemic thing. No, the pandemic, I think, does play a factor. The fact that this movie's been rescheduled like 18 times, however many times it's been, where it is on the calendar. Uh, but ultimately, I think that's right, Rebecca. There's a multitude of factors here. We can't just blame the pandemic alone. Right now, our official forecast on boxofficepro.com has this movie movie opening, let's say the high teens, maybe the low 20s, maybe 20 million plus if it's very successful, down obviously from that $31 million opening weekend that we saw in 2019. Uh, You know, if this isn't really working, we might be seeing uh, a 15 to $19 million opening weekend. And our official forecast for its theatrical run right now, we're expecting this to come in in the low to mid 50s on a theatrical run. Obviously that's gonna be revised after we get to see that opening weekend number here in North America and how it holds up in the coming weeks. But we do have some overseas data that we can point to Rebecca. The movie already tracking below the original in several key markets. If we look at the United Kingdom, where the movie opened in 2019 to 6.2 million, that opening weekend was down 39% for the sequel. It actually opened to 3.7 million, including previews in the UK. The original went on to gross 34.4 million there. Currently, three weeks into release in the UK, the sequel is at around 13 million. So really, I think best case scenario here, this movie crosses the $20 million mark in the UK. I'm not sure it gets to hit that $30 million range. So we're already between 30 and 40% behind in some of its key international markets. That's the case in Australia, where it also opened 39% below the original. And in France, where it opened around 33% below the original. So it's a bigger chunk than we'd expect here in the drop-offs. But we'll see how that happens here in the North American market after this weekend. Daniel, I'm definitely uh, planning to see a movie uh, this upcoming weekend. Don't know if it'll be Downton Abbey. I still have to catch up with the Doctor Strange sequel. Whatever it is, for me, it's not a movie without popcorn. So I'm definitely going to be partaking in that. But that leads us right into... I mean, I'm just so glad that we're having another feature story that is related to popcorn and also from such a, a really fun, good, positive, independent cinema. 
Yeah, this is a feel-good story here uh, in the industry, I think, what the Prospector Theater is doing in Ridgefield, Connecticut. It's a movie theater that is mainly focused in providing employment opportunities with adults with disabilities. Uh, it's a fantastic movie theater up there. And very recently, because of the pandemic, they've been looking at different ways they can bring in revenue and continue that mission outside of selling tickets to the movies. And part of that program has been to extend their concession stand and their famous gourmet popcorn to consumers, whether they live in the Connecticut area or not. And I got to speak with the Prospector's executive director, Mike Santini, about this and other topics a couple weeks back. And now, without any further ado, here's Mike Santini from the Prospector Theater. And we are here with Mike Santini, the executive director of the Prospector Theater in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Mike, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. A really interesting project that you guys have going on over there in Ridgefield with the Prospector Theater. We've profiled you guys, Honor Magazine, a number of times. But for our listeners that uh, haven't been caught up on what you're mission-driven movie theater is all about. How would you describe The Prospector and its mission? Daniel, thank you so much for having us on the podcast. We are thrilled once again to be partnering with our friends at at Box Office. We're grateful for all of the support and coverage that you've given to our theater over the last eight or so years. The Prospector Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to providing competitive and integrated employment to people with disabilities through the operation of a first-run movie theater in Ridgefield, Connecticut. All employees here at the theater, we all call ourselves prospects, and 75% of us self-identify with a disability. Through running a first-run movie theater with state-of-the-art technology, accessible facility, we are showing the world what is possible when adults with disabilities are given the chance to work, are provided the opportunity to work. We can work, we want to work, However, unfortunately, 80% of Americans with a disability do not have a job. So here at the theater, we're watching movies, we're popping popcorn, and we're doing it all through a competitive and integrated workspace where we can show the world just how brightly we sparkle when given a job. And it's a, it's a fantastic sight. Just as a movie theater alone, the space is, is gorgeous. When did you guys open up there in, in Richfield? And how, from the exhibition side of things, how has been that experience operating a movie theater in a community like Ridgefield and introducing this mission-driven element of employing people with disabilities as part of your appeal to the community? Yeah, so we've been open since November of 2014, so we're going on eight years here, and uh, we've had phenomenal success at the theater and it's all built around this model that we have. And, I, and to use a movie reference, which I love, the ultimate Jedi mind trick is that when people walk through our doors, they think it's just a movie theater. However, we're really a vocational training academy, an experimental, innovative lab where we can try out with uh, experiment with new strategies, techniques, tools, curriculum, products, technology that will allow more adults with disabilities to enter and integrate within the workforce. Uh, when we came up with the idea of the prospector, our founder and visionary Valerie Jensen was surprised by how few of her friends with disabilities had jobs. Uh, she had been the arts uh, executive director for an arts nonprofit in Ridgefield for a number of years, creating feature length musicals and movies starring adults with disabilities. 
seeing how talented her friends are firsthand. And then when so few of them had a job, she said, this doesn't make sense. There's a huge disconnect. Mm -hmm. uh, while this is happening, uh, we looked around town and we recognized the town of Ridgefield didn't have a movie theater. And we thought about movie theater might be great because it could create so many jobs and a lot of in-demand jobs, auto-visual, technical jobs. And then lastly, we wanted to find a business model that would allow for meaningful interaction between prospects and guests. So by creating the theater, we've been able to provide a wide array of jobs, provide a need in our community, while also making sure that each guest that walks through the door has the opportunity to meaningfully engage and interact with prospects, with people with disabilities. And that goes a long way for reintroducing ourselves into society. And that's that's such an important aspect, I think, of, of what sets the prospector apart, that inclusive hiring policy that you guys do. I can speak personally, and I think it applies to a lot of people around the world. I have relatives who identify as having disabilities that would love to have an opportunity to have a job and have meaningful employment, go to a workplace where they can bring that structured sense of having responsibilities and interact with people. Can you tell us about how that has developed over the years, a little bit about your workforce and how long, what are the tenures of your employees with disabilities at the Prospector? Because I'm sure it's emerged as a destination for adults with disabilities that really want to bring this into to their own lives. To your point, Daniel, when people call us or they write us, they see us on the news, they hear about us, and then they'll send something along the lines of, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. This is so wonderful. It's so unique what you've created. At one point in time, we thought, wow, this is great. People are recognizing it. But now it's almost like it's like a burden. It, it can't be that unique. It, there, mm -hmm. it can't just be us. Right. Uh, unfortunately, like I mentioned, 80% of Americans with disabilities do not have a job. There needs to be more places like the prospector who recognize that the hiring of adults with disabilities isn't a nice thing to do. It's not something we do to pat ourselves on the back or pat our obituaries. This is a smart business thing to do. Adults with disabilities add tremendous value to the workforce and to the bottom line of businesses. And furthermore, we create the most accessible movie-going experience possible between our sensory-friendly screenings, our adaptive technology, which is regularly checked, maintained, updated, the rigor testing and beta testing that we do with emerging technologies, open caption screenings, a fully super compliant and accessible building. I could go on and on and on. But we've designed this business from the workforce, from the customer side, to make sure that that everybody who wants to participate can enjoy. And once again, that is a smart business thing to do. One out of four Americans self-identify with a disability. By creating more accessible movie going, more accessible businesses, products, and services, you are opening up your business to a larger share of the market. Billions of dollars in discretionary income every year for uh, people with disabilities in this country. So this is a smart thing to do. It is a good business thing to do. And we've been doing it for the last eight years. Uh, over 300 prospects have worked here at the Prospector Theater. We've clocked in over 750,000 hours of competitive and integrated employment. And prospects have earned more than $16.5 million for their meaningful pay here at the theater. Everybody is paid above minimum wage. Prospects work at every level of the operation from box office to the board of directors, from production to projection, from our clean team to cafe to concessions, events, grant writing, graphic design, 
everything in between. We create as many jobs as possible. And through those jobs, we showcase our talent, or as we call it, our sparkle. And we've had tremendous success with that. And we encourage other businesses to look to their communities and figure out how can I make more competitive and integrative employment within my own business. And that's definitely an opportunity that I think cinemas have in front of them. When we talk about accessibility, sometimes in this industry, we can get lost in the details of it. I think specifically for circuits, it can be a challenge as they try to figure out, well, how do I introduce open caption screenings across a circuit, across a number of states with different guidelines, with different restrictions? For independents, however, I think the prospector has shown that if you connect not only with your workforce, but also with your local community, with your local audience, implementing things like open caption screenings, like sensory friendly screenings, that's not scary to do. That's not something that can quote unquote cost you money. From your experience, how how do you guys go through that? How have you been able to introduce accessibility as something engaging to your community, as opposed to something that you have to tiptoe around in marketing. So I, I think one of the things that really puts the prospector in a unique position is that we can very much take this stand of like nothing about us without us, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas prospects are implementing, designing, creating program technology services that we use. We are the end user. We are developing it and we are developing it for ourselves. And in turn, what we've created is this universal design where every guest that walks through the door can see the value of those services. So for example, our pre-show is made entirely in-house. Our production department creates high quality videos for our pre-show, mission videos, PSAs, music videos, trailers, promos, we do it all. And we open caption each and every one of those uh, pre-show videos. And it goes to show that people love our pre-show and it's now open and available for more audiences to view, more audiences to watch. And when guests step through the door, they know our mission, they know our commitment to universal design, to universal accessibility. They will look around and they'll recognize like, yeah, open captions, that, that makes sense. I mean, even in our day-to-day -day lives, uh, Daniel, things like text messaging, that was developed as an accessible service for those right. who need it, right? And we don't uh, think the, of it as such. We just we think don't. of it as a resource, right? It doesn't exactly. have to have that quote-unquote stigma or branding as an accessibility solution. One of the conversations we had a little bit ago, and I hate to interrupt you, Mike, but I want to absolutely no. get to this point, are consumer products that were designed originally with an accessible angle to them. That brand, OXO, OXO. Uh, yeah, the, po the potato peeler. The potato <laughs> peeler, that's a great example. If you could go a little bit into that, because I didn't even think of that element of how accessibility is accessible for everyone. It's not just to address a certain specific niche or demographic of a population. Yeah, no, so that's a perfect example, Daniel. The OXO potato peeler, which if any of our listeners open up their kitchen drawer, they're probably gonna find this potato peeler there. It was developed by this company, OXO, as an ergonomic potato peeler for individuals with arthritis. Uh, the grip that they designed on this potato peeler had such universal appeal that they soon realized this isn't just an adaptive product that we're creating. This is a product that's good for everybody. And the most rudimentary example that I often point to is, is ramps, right? Mm -hmm. So we can have stairs that lead into the building or we can have a ramp that leads into the building. And if I have the ramp, I can make sure that everybody can get into my building and everybody could be someone who uses a wheelchair 
It could be somebody who has a newborn in a stroller. It mm-hmm. could be somebody who's uh, carrying around a suitcase. Having the ramp just makes sense. And yes, this is a ramp is an accommodation that we can provide for somebody with a disability, but a ramp, more importantly, is an example of good universal design. What works for one person works for all. Absolutely. And I even think for a lot of independent theaters, getting that senior citizen population older audiences that takes up a big part of your habitual moviegoers folks that go in every week it just makes perfect sense if you can make it easier for them to not only get into your auditoriums go to your concession stand make it back to their cars it's a great mission statement that i think you guys have top to bottom in communicating that with your community one of the things about the prospector that really stands out to me is that, of course, the mission-driven angle of your theater is well-known in your community, but it's also known as an amazing destination to go watch movie theaters, meaning that the mission drives what you guys do, but it doesn't define you guys 100% as a movie theater. You are legitimately, and I've been there many times, one of the nicest movie theaters that I've been to in the United States. Thank you. Can you go into that design process and and why making sure that the theater itself has to be of the utmost quality to ensure it matches the expectations of your mission statement? Absolutely. So we set out from day one wanting to make sure that this was going to be the best movie theater, period. Right? That was always our goal. Our goal wasn't to be the best movie theater run by people with disabilities. No, our right. goal was to be the best movie theater, period. We've always wanted to be assessed and valued by the merits of our business rather than a sympathy factor. And somebody mm-hmm. saying, oh, woe is you. And this is breaking free from this old mold of sheltered workshops where traditionally adults with disabilities have been placed in jobs just alongside adults with uh, other adults with disabilities in the basement of a church, in the basement of a factory, outside of the public eye, and often given the short end of the stick, the leftovers. No, kind we of wanted like you're this hiding this community, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. hey, you know what? We don't want to let people know that we have adults with disabilities working here, so it'll be out of the way. You guys go completely the other direction. You have a world-class cinema where you also prominently feature your workforce. It's exactly it. And in doing so, we wanted to create the best destination possible, the most premium movie going destination. And at the end of the day, your personal motivations for coming to see a movie at our theater are irrelevant, right? Whether Mm -hmm. you like the premium facility that we have, uh, you want to sit in the leather Eames lounge chairs that we have, you want to enjoy beer or wine with your movie, you want to try our gourmet popcorn, you love our mission, you want to see what we have. We don't care. Whatever gets you through the door is an opportunity for us to once again educate and engage. Once you get in, that's half the battle. So we wanted to make sure that people were coming to our theater because it is the best movie theater around. And when once we get their butts in the seats, then we have the opportunity to engage them with educational pre-show, with usher speeches, talking to prospects, so that you can really understand the importance of what's going on here. It's a fun place. And I think that's at the heart of it, right? Sometimes we can imagine getting lost in the messaging that that we're trying to give in the mission. But when I'm at the Prospector, you guys have a great coffee bar there, by the way. You guys make a fantastic latte. I like just grabbing a coffee and spending time there. It's a place where I go to have a good time. And it seems like the employees are also there actively engaged, enjoying their time there. 
As we talk about that design element, as we talk about that experience outside of the standards that you put in to your auditorium and film presentation, a big part of that is concession strategy. And as we know very well, during the pandemic, theaters all over the United States were faced with a huge crisis and they turned to their concessions as a way to alleviate some of that lack of revenue that was coming in. Prospector, you guys were in a really tough spot. You had uh, just announced a second location. You had to step back from that location right as the pandemic started. How did you regroup and how did you factor in a concession strategy to keep you guys alive and going during those difficult months in 2020? I, I'm sure that this has been the topic of conversation on a variety of podcasts about uh, the pandemic and how that has indefinitely affected our industry. But from our personal uh, standpoint, yeah, Daniel, you're right. We're looking at growing and expanding our mission through opening up a second theater. And at the end of the day, our main focus was how could we create more jobs. So mm -hmm. when we looked at opening a second location in 2019, we viewed another brick and mortar facility as a way to create more jobs. Because once again, that's the Jedi mind trick. People think we're a movie theater. This is just a facility we can use to experiment, to teach, to train, to innovate while we create meaningful employment. So the pandemic happens, movies are diverted to streaming services, the release dates are delayed, the uncertainty loomed over our theater and the entire industry. So we looked internally and we saw, well, what else can we do to grow and expand, to create more jobs while also helping to drive alternate revenue? Uh, we've had a popcorn program here since day one of the prospector. We create our own in-house gourmet popcorn, tasty combinations like caramel, Chicago, Belgian chocolate toffee, s'mores, uh, maple walnut ice cream, buffalo ranch. We decided you go, you go all in on the experimentation there, so oh, your yeah. audiences oh, know yeah. it's popcorn or the flavored popcorn that, that you Correct. have. And so from day one, how popular had that been in, in the community? To, to go to your theater just based on that concession strategy alone. Forget everything else. Yeah, no, it was always a popular, pun intended, popular <laughs> uh, product. And people would come literally just like you said, Daniel, like you do, to sit in the lobby and to eat popcorn because it's that good. And I think often at times businesses struggle with what is my product? What am I going yeah. to, to do? And then build a strategy around that. And we were very fortunate that we had a great product and we saw mm -hmm. it perform very well at our concession stand. And then we decided when the pandemic hit, well, how, this is how we can grow. This is how we can expand. And in doing so, we'll create more jobs, we'll drive alternate revenue, but also we are now introducing the mission of the Prospector Theater beyond the movie going demographic within our right. area, within our 10, 15 mile radius. Now with our online uh, e-commerce business, prospectorpopcorn.org, we can bring the sparkle of the theater to doorsteps across America from Detroit to Daytona, from Sacramento, all the way out to New York City, everywhere in between. Now you can get popcorn delivered, indulge in a tasty treat, and know that while I'm in having this fantastic, delicious snack, I'm creating jobs for people with disabilities. It's such an important pivot that I think a lot of exhibitors did, and they did it in different ways, right? You had some folks uh, sold concessions right out of their cinemas, really in the parking lot. Some folks partnered with uh, delivery apps like Uber Eats, like Seamless, to be able to get that out to consumers. But as things normalize a little bit, how do you go from that pandemic pivot to a real revenue line? for your cinema. And for you guys over at The Prospector, with a mission as important as it is, 
uh, that defines you guys so much. I think it was a great idea to go to a direct-to-consumer e-commerce model where I would love to support your mission, but I can't make it to Ridgefield, Connecticut to go watch a movie anytime I want. Now I can support that mission. Now I can support your theater through part of that movie-going identity, part of that movie-going experience, your own gourmet popcorn, ordering that online over at, what was the website again? Prospectorpopcorn.org? That's it. That's it. And yeah, and it's just another feather in our cap to really show the world, the community at large, that it doesn't need to be a movie theater. And we've been espousing that since day one. But when people walk in, they see what's going on, they inevitably think, oh, I want to build a movie theater that has a similar model. We truly believe that our model is transferable to any business whatsoever. Gourmet Popcorn is a testament to that, where now we are taking the building blocks, the foundation of what we have created here, the model, the mission over the last eight years, and we're applying it to an entirely different business model, not a customer-facing one, an e-commerce, digital sales one. And it's showing that, yes, what we've created is not a one-off, we're not a one-hit wonder, but we really have products and tools that other employers, other change makers, other nonprofits would benefit one. And to be quite honest, we're eager to share those with anybody else in the industry, anybody else in our spaces. I know when NATO was vying uh, for the much needed SVOG to Congress in the letter that they penned, they talked about the talent drain facing our industry. And when I juxtapose like, yeah, there's a talent drain, but there's also the highest rate of people with disabilities without a job that we've ever had in this country. A million more people with disabilities were dismissed from their jobs due to the pandemic. So when you think about the great resignation, the big quit, where it's a talent drain, and there's a huge population of people that can work, want to work, and are awesome at their jobs, this is the opportunity for the prospector is to show the world, yes, the the answer to the, your, your pandemic problems, the answer to automation, the answer to uh, streaming, to how do we insulate ourselves uh, against you know services like that, it all begins and ends with the mission of the Prospector Theater, competitive and integrated employment for people with disabilities. Mike, you've mentioned that you really want to be part of that resource to help the industry add this element to what we bring to the table. How can folks get in touch with you if they want to just get ideas on how to bring what has been so successful for your independent theater to their own site? Absolutely. We run professional development programs with a variety of businesses. We've, learned, we've worked with uh, multinational companies, local businesses, and everything in between. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about the mission model of the prospector and how you can adapt aspects of it to your workplace, I'm eager to share any successes, strategies, curriculum, tools, products with businesses who are looking to take aspects of the Prospector Theater's model, uh, you can contact me personally, mike.santini at prospectortheater.org. You can reach me at 203-894-5027. Those are my personal contact uh, uh, number and email because I want to chat with you. I want the mission of the Prospector Theater to not be as unique as it is. I want more businesses uh, to, to do what we're doing. And in turn, once you buy in, once you see this model in action, you'll realize that yeah, this is a great thing. It's a great thing for the community. It's a great thing for my employees. And it's a great thing for my profit and loss statement. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing more of the Prospector's DNA across theaters, not only here in the US, but around the world. Mike, thanks again for joining us here 
at the Box Office Podcast. To learn more about the Prospector Theater, you can go to prospectorpopcorn.org. That is the e-commerce site where the prospector is uh, sharing the availability to buy their gourmet popcorn for anyone out there. It's a cool initiative. And to get in touch with the Prospector Theater, you can also reach out to Mike Santini over at mike.santini at prospectortheater.org. Mike, thanks again for joining us. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can get a a latte at your theater soon uh, when I make it back to Connecticut. Daniel, thanks so much for having us. And I hope to see everybody at the movie soon. Let's uh, sparkle on. And that was Mike Santini, the executive director of the Prospector Theater, joining us here on the Box Office Podcast. Thanks again for listening. We will be back again next Thursday when we provide our final, final, final opening weekend forecast for Top Gun Maverick in what is going to be the next big blockbuster benchmark here in the recovery in North America. So don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on any podcast platform. And if you like what you listen to, please rate, subscribe, and recommend. That is how we can continue doing what we're doing here. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Box Office Pro in collaboration with the Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcast. We'll chat again next week. Thank you.